Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week two in college football. And we've got a bunch of people here to help me do just that. Four guests on today's show. First up, Mr. Relevant, our buddy Ben Solak from The Ringer drops by to talk about some of the top receivers, quarterbacks, and a guy that he likes more than everybody else. Fun chat here at the top of the show with Ben. Then we transition to scouting report with Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl. He stops by once again to break down one of the more dynamic running backs in this senior class who could see his stock soar here this fall. Then we transition to Saturday scouting where we get, get with Ben Fennel and start our look ahead to week two. We've got matchups, players who can help themselves the most, players you need to watch here this Saturday in college football as well as an interesting mock draft to comb through. Then we wrap it up with pick six. Ross Tucker and I preview six more games for the weekend in the only way we know how. That's by having fun. Stick around for the end of the show in that segment. I love catching up with Ross every single week here on the show. As always, rate, review, subscribe. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you also like what you're hearing, you want to throw us a little bit of help, jump on the Apple podcast, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, if you've got a mock draft that you want us to, to pick apart, if you've got rankings you want us to take a look at, go on, leave us that in the comment section on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. It helps us out and we will answer your question here on the show. That being said, let's get this one rolling here. Uh, I'm really excited to catch up with my friend Ben Solak. Over with the ringer, it's time for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, well, excited to welcome back to the show for the, like, I don't know, like the 100th time, the 10th time, the 30th time. Who's counting? But the first time since he's been announced as the staff writer at The Ringer, our friend Benjamin Solak. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. I mentioned uh, newly with The Ringer. You can go and check him out over on The Ringer NFL Show. Uh, ben, welcome back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Eagles kickoff right this is the last episode before kickoff last episode before kickoff uh, i'm very happy episode. to be here that's that's exactly right and we've got a lot to cover here because um look obviously with the ringer you're gonna be doing a little bit less uh nfl draft and college football in season but you did plenty this summer and this offseason so you've got some thoughts you've got so you've got some some takes here going into the fall and going into the rest of the college football season and i know from listening to you in the past from talking to you offline uh that you are a card carrying member of two fan clubs that I am also a, a big, big uh, member of as well. That's wide receiver Chris Olave, wide receiver Traylon Burks. Both guys uh, potentially in this NFL draft. Olave a senior, Traylon Burks an underclassman. Uh, give us some takes here on both of these guys. Mm-hmm. Very different stylistically, but both great uh, in terms of their potential at the next level. Yeah, I mean, you're a draft guy. I'm a draft guy. The, you know, everything could be perfect. You could be working, you know, covering the NFL full-time. The whole Eagles team is great. I'd still be watching prospects trying to figure yes, out correct. who's good, who we're going to draft. So uh, I love, I've loved Chris Olave for years. I was shocked he didn't come out. Uh, he's probably trying to chase that Devontae Smith arc where he's just so good, so technically refined relative to competition that he's putting up ungodly numbers. He's pushing for the highs. I mean, he's pushing for the top 10 pick, whatever. I thought he could have been a first-round pick last year. I think we have first round pick this year. And right, it's that technical prowess. The best way of saying it is like a lot of us got an answer to every question. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's playing Clemson and, and, and Alabama and he's gone up against press cover corners. You've got, you know, the, the the length and the NFL size and all the things that should beat him. And he just doesn't have a problem with it. He has every tool in his toolbox to get the job done. Traylon Burks has one answer to every question. <laughs> and it's being six foot three, 230 pounds. But yeah. Uh, both work, right? Olave can solve every problem because he's got all the tools and he's got all the know-how. Burst is just so dominant physically. And always we want to say like, will that translate? You know, you do want to be technically sound. And so Burke certainly has more rough edges to sand than Olave does. And a lot more confident Olave being that early round pick than I am Burks right now. But they don't build them like Burks. And when they do, they play a linebacker, right? I mean, right. slot receiver. Arkansas gets the ball in his hands. And when he has the ball in his hands, he's extremely physically dominant. When he's getting into his route tree, he's not trying to break you off with foot speed and quickness. He knows where his bread is buttered. He's going to break you off by stiff arming you at the top of his route. I'm a big fan of offensive pass interference. I love it. Never gets called, commit all the time. Traylon Burks agrees. So he has to get a little better ball in the air. Uh, you, you want him to be a little bit more consistent and contested catch for his size. You want him to be a little better of a blocker at his size, but you they just don't make cats like this, right? And so you want to invest in these trades, especially in an NFL that's getting better and better at getting the ball to receivers early and then letting them create after the catch. 
I, when I look at Burks, I think I had, I had said this previously on the show. I said it to you offline, uh, just like, like a mix of AJ Brown, Debo Samuel and Terrell Owens, right. In terms of like, <laughs> usage, mix of players. yeah, like usage, body type, skill set, like mm-hmm. kind of mix and match those three guys together. And I feel like you get what Traylon Burks can be in the NFL. And especially now in today's landscape from an, an offensive scheme standpoint, there are so many schemes now that I could say, yeah, like drop Traylon Burks in and there's a right. role. Maybe like eight years ago, I would have been a little bit more concerned about that. Exactly. Oh, you know, like, I, I don't know, like he might be a, uh, you know, a manufactured touch guy, but there are plenty of offenses now where that is built into the offense that that's not as much a concern for me now where Olave, he's creating that space for himself in multiple ways, whether it's with that speed or with his uh, technical proficiency at the top of routes. Yeah. And, and right with Burks, it's worth, remarking because of something I forgot to mention that I get so sad about how big he is. Uh, he can really uh, accelerate, right? Yeah. Like his, his, you know, flying 20, that second half of the four yard dash. Maybe that's not that great. I mean, he's 230 pounds, whatever the, the zero to 10 is stupid quick on a straight line for a guy that, that big. Yep. Especially for a guy that big. And that's what it is, is you look at safeties and, and corners who see his body. They see his frame. They see him with the ball and they go, okay, He's going to run through me and he's not going to be able to do it that fast. Cause look at it. And then he's gone. The amount of angles that he beats in tight areas is stunning. It's all over his film. It's the crossing pattern against Georgia. It's the touchdown against LSU. It's the touchdown against Ole Miss. It's the touchdown against Florida. He's just constantly breaking angles. You don't expect him to at his size. That's going to be huge for that manufactured touches, right? Like you said, because sure. it's not just, I'm going to be able to survive some contact from linebackers and corners, pick up dirty yardage. No, like he's going to be able to generate explosives because he has that ability to, uh, to get upfield so, so, so quickly. So yeah, he's a, he's a special, unique player. A little bit of the, the DK Metcalf, Jalen Rager trouble, where if he needs to turn a corner, it's not as much what sure. we like to see. But you know what? We can get away with it when we're that uniquely explosive with that density, that density of body. So one guy I know that you're also high on at wide receiver that I have not done yet, but I kind of know the book a little bit on him is Dante Demas from Maryland. Uh, I know you tweeted about him earlier this week, uh, right around the, the around week one. Uh, give us the uh, give us the book here on Dante Demas. What is it that sets him apart from other receivers in the senior class in your mind? Absolutely, yeah. So when you're looking at, at the wide receiver classes, especially this is true for all positions, but for wide receiver, we're trying to fit guys into roles, right? We talked about Traylon Burks' manufactured touch role. Well, if I want a field structure, right, and I don't necessarily, uh, I'm not, I, I'm a, a team that prioritizes size. I don't want my field structure to be. 5'10", 5'11", 185", 190s, just winning with speed. I want a field stretcher who's got uh, the, the size to win over big corners, the size to win contested catches. The first port of call for me in this class is Dante Demas. Certainly there's more complete players, but I'm looking for that role. It's Demas. Uh, the concentration, the ball tracking, excellent. Absolutely. He's got a little bit of drops problems at times. Uh, Romeo Duke, same problem in Nevada. Jalen Tolbert, so Alabama, same problem. So it's not like he's alone in that regard. So drops problems at times, but... The ball tracking is delightful. The contested catch, the catch race is delightful. Uh, 6'3", 210 with burners. Kid can run. Uh, when he opens it up, it's good night. Uh, you saw him with a, an early touchdown against West Virginia where the West Virginia corners and catch man, right? So he's playing about five, eight yards off the ball, and he's waiting for Demas to close the space. It's important in catch man that you understand how fast your opponent is, when to turn your hips and open, because you're starting from zero and he's already got momentum. And you're just watching this West Virginia corner and you're like, buddy, turn, turn, open, open, open. And he just didn't read the scout report and Demas is gone. And that's the other thing is Demas has a really nice ability to clear shoulders. If he can do it with his feet, he can do it with his hands, right? So we're talking about getting off the press coverage, getting off the catch man coverage. If you're going to be a vertical receiver, you've got to get your shoulder past the other guy's shoulder. You have to be able to get hip to hip on him. That gives you the ability to open up and meet him with speed. And so Demas can do that with his length and he can do that with his feet. He's got really surprising hip sink and knee bend for a player of that size. And, and, and that helps you with the releases. But the other thing it helps with is that deep comeback and that deep curl. Yep. And it gives you the ability to get vertical on a guy, get even with a guy, threaten him with that upfield speed. And then at 15 yards, break it. Just drop your hips, drop your butt to the ground, get back to the quarterback. And so when we talk about routes in the vertical third, deep comeback, nine route, the post route, everything that we're just basically staying on a third of the field, and you're working vertical stems, Demas has all of those in his bag already. Mm-hmm. So for that role player, I love Dante Demas. He's that sort of second, third round pick. He carves out a role pretty quickly, sticks in that role, and is valuable to an NFL team right away. And it seems like that was kind of the book on two of, I would say, most people's like favorite 
mid-day two, early day three sleepers in this past class. Josh Palmer from Tennessee ended up going mm-hmm. in the third round to the Chargers, and then De'Ami Brown uh, from North Carolina, who ended up in Washington. And I think with both of those guys, you talk about that vertical ability and that ability to weaponize that speed, and, and that's a separating factor for me. Like That's why uh, I loved Olave at such a young age, because you know not only did he have burners, but he understood how to use those burners. He knew yeah. that as a defender, you always had to be respectful of that speed, and now that's when the comebacks and the digs and some of those return routes uh, come back into play. Absolutely. And, and when we talk about working that route tree, having multiple answers is really nice, right? You bring up a guy like Josh Palmer. A lot of Josh Palmer was that physicality to generate that angle. And then he was able to, to keep that, that kind of box out positioning. He certainly had speed to keep out that box out positioning for the deep pattern. Diami was a lot of speed, right? Diami was really good against that off man catch man because he could really accelerate on you. For me, Demas has both in his bag, right? Okay. He certainly had a little bit more reliant on the speed, but to me, he's got both in his bag. And so now we have the ability to win against different prototypes of corners, different types of coverages. And that gives you, I think, an easier ability to onboard uh, in year one, especially to, to, to make that impact right away. Like Josh Palmer, he's probably going to suffer a little bit from uh, my quarterback can't get yeah. me the ball syndrome. Yep, but sure. actually, uh, the young Tagovailoa, Taulia Tagovailoa, is the quarterback in Maryland, you look pretty good. Yeah, that's all right uh, against West Virginia. So if we get some decent uh, quarterback play there in Maryland consistently, Demas is going to become a big name because his numbers are going to stand out. One question I've got for you on the defensive side of the football, you know, obviously a big topic of conversation every offseason is, you know, whatever bucket we want to call this, if it's positionless players, it's uh, the hybrids, the tweeners, whether we're talking nickel safeties, corner safeties, uh, the line, the linebacker safeties, DND tackles. So I'm going to take who is your favorite, most versatile player on the defensive side that you've studied so far in this class? And you could take this whatever way you want. Yeah, and that's the thing is I had like seven different names, right? Because I <laughs> the 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 absolute correct answer in all cases is Kyle Hamilton, right? The safety out of Notre Dame. He's just the best player ever. He's humongous and he's fast and he's instinctive. He's awesome. We don't want to talk about him, that's boring. Yeah. The other player that's really exciting, well, I'll talk about him a little bit more when you talk about planting my flag is uh George Carlos. He's more of like a defensive line edge hybrid out, out, out of uh, Purdue. So I'll talk about Nicobe Dean, uh, who is the linebacker for Georgia. And if you're trying to figure out who Nicobe Dean was. What you do is just watch the, the the two stack linebackers for Georgia are both sick. The one who's super fast, not the Kobe Dean. The one who's wicked physical, that's the Kobe Dean. <laughs> and so they've got these two really, really good prototypes. And Dean's certainly explosive and whatever. Um, but they've got these great prototypes. So they've just got like a little bit of a thunder and lightning vibe back there. They like to bring Dean down onto the line of scrimmage and use yep. him in blitz packages a ton on, on long and late situations. So I've got uh, explosive into contact, wicked physical for his size. Uh, he's a six foot two twenty five, uh, and they love to blitz it because of what he brings you off of the edge. It very much is a lot of what people like uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa out of Notre Dame last year. Now the big difference is that I think we see we saw Wusukoromoa, uh, excuse me, get tested a lot more in coverage roles yep. for that Notre Dame defense and the way that it was built and put together. I can't remember the name the defense coordinator. He's now at Vanderbilt, but the, the way Clark, they used, Clark Lee, yeah, 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 right. The way they used him is a little bit different. Uh, than the way that that Georgia's using uh, Nakobe Dean. With that said, you can clearly see the physical ability to work in a more of an overhang role and be successful. Uh, and and everything that he has as a pass rusher is just it just cherries on top for blitz heavy teams: Miami, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, because they're going to like this guy on base downs playing an actual off linebacker overhang role. But when they send him, it's like Jamal Adams, right? Like he legit knows how to rush the passer. Like he knows how to use his hands. He knows how to bend around the edge. He has that instinct to him. Uh, and so Nicobe Dean, really, really fun player who might be a little bit harder to see how it works, takes a little bit more time when he gets into the league, but the body type is clearly there, the play style is clearly there. You teed this up earlier, so I'll just follow this up with mm-hmm. you. Who's a guy you're higher on than everyone else? I want you to plant your flag uh, on a name here. Yeah, so George Kalafis. <laughs> this I love is it. A- yeah, uh, so the freshman season, 2019, out of Purdue, uh, he's a West Lafayette native. Tremendous recruit job by Braun to keep him in the building. He's one of the best defensive recruits that Purdue's ever had. Uh, he walks out as a freshman and just starts big boying Big Ten offensive tackles. That's not how that's supposed to go. Uh, that is just very. That's a regular for like Ohio State edges. It's very regular for Purdue edges. Uh, he's now listed at 6'4", 275. Uh, and you can see, even as a freshman, when he was a little bit lighter, what it looked like in terms of 
when I'm on the outside and I'm facing tackles who are taking soft sets and they're taking deep sets and they're not protected by tight ends, I'm going to go and I'm going to take your chest and I'm either going to put you in the quarterback's lap or I'm going to snatch trap you. He has a rush on uh, Alex Pacheski, the, uh, the the tackle out of Illinois. He's a draftable yep. player. Oh, man. I mean, like it's like it. He's played in a similar role as JJ Watt. He's clearly watched Watt film, right? Because of how that's worked. And Watt always had that on that outside when he was rushing for, against tackles. Put my hands in your chest and I just drop you to the floor. And then I'm able to keep a tight corner regardless. And and and, and Karlathis hits it. I've watched like a hundred times. It's just a stupid rep. So we have that that power on tackles who are a little bit lighter and are giving me space. And then they'll kick him in on the inside. Uh, when they got long and late downs and all of a sudden it's a guard and I can get long arms on a guard. He's got length and guards going to be a little bit stubbier in college. I can get long arms on you and then I can arm over you. And then I can swim you. And then I, I can club you and I can get to half a man. And I've got the quickness to do that. So he's that sort of player who has solutions for when he's lined up outside, he's lined up inside. And so Purdue will like stand him up as a nine tech on second down and play it was like a hand in the dirt four eye on third down. And he's got pass rush ability from all those positions. Uh, missed, most of 2020, Purdue had a lot of COVID problems. It simply was not the same yep. season. A mulligan for a lot of people. And so it wasn't exactly what you want to see uh, in terms of following up such a dynamic freshman campaign. But in 2021, you expect things to be a lot more standard. Uh, he's had multiple years now to really uh, uh, clean up and, and, and sharpen some of the pass rush arsenal, add some more tools to his belt. Um, but this body type. And the explosiveness that you saw as a freshman is just really, really fun. Uh, and so I'm very excited. It, it, to me, this this defensive line edge class is great. Came on to Bidos at the top. And I think DeMarvin Leal out of Texas A&M is more of an interior defensive player. Yep. Even though he kind of gets some edge reps. I think he's number two. Number three for me right now is Karloff decided for Purdue. It feels like in most mock drafts right now, Karlaftis is in that like 22 to 28 range, like somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And he just screams of a guy that by the time we get to April, he's more in that like nine to 15 range. Right. And, and, we're and it's about like, yeah, he gets there with like my Jai Sanders out of Cincinnati, out yeah. of out, out of Georgia. And the thing is all three of them get called like good athletes. Yeah. Right. And like, I love, uh, I love asking. He's great. Um, but I think when it comes to testing, they're all going to test like great athletes. Just one of them is going to be carrying 20 more pounds right. than the other two, right? And that's really where you're going to see. Karloff, this to me, is more than a great athlete. He's really quite special. He's a really good player. Um, all right, so follow me here. Last question. Uh, you are based in Michigan, uh, Detroit, biggest city in Mich Michigan, the Motor City. Who is the quarterback that revs your engine the most? Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean the guy that's going first, uh, although that might be the case. Who is the guy that gets you most excited as we sit here with still pretty much a full college season out in front of us? I absolutely thought that was going to be a uh, uh, they need a new quarterback. Jared Goff's probably not going to hold that job segue, <laughs> but no, I appreciate the rev your engine. Yeah, I mean, like, so I, I mean, I think Spencer Rattler's all that in a bag of chips just yep. in terms of the physical ability, right? Like, I. He's one of those quarterbacks you love to watch because he just breaks the rules and it's it's those no 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 yes plays right we're like what are you doing holy smokes that was awesome uh, and obviously it was a little less of the holy smokes that was awesome a little more of the no 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 what are you doing against Tulane that's kind of the book on him right now it's how much knucklehead can he get out of his game yeah um, before we we kind of get to draft cycle so I love him he's a lot of fun but to me the player who who I get the most. Like, you know, Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow, Rise vibes from, right? Certainly everybody's kind of trying to look for that player. That's Carson Strong out of Nevada. Uh, yep. Yeah, and and the thing about Strong is there are people who think he's like a is a, a one-pitch passer. I just don't get that. Uh, I love watching his film because he understands what the situation demands and dictates from him relative to coverage, relative to route concept, relative to how the pocket looks. Like he knows when to throw with touch. He knows when to throw with velocity. He knows when to accelerate his release and change his platform. He knows when to, to, to go sidearm and try to go through a window. He understands the little stuff. He understands the nuance. And when we talk about these air raid quarterbacks, they run an air raid offense there in Nevada, uh, the additional reps that they get throwing the football in practice and in games, strong as a multi-year starter, he's a senior, those reps tend to make these guys just really natural throwers, right? You think yeah. about Gardner Minshew, like he is not a great arm and he's not like a, a, that great of like a real processor. He just is a natural. He just understands how to get the ball to his receivers. He gets so many reps, it just becomes internalized. And so he's such a good all around thrower. I'd like to see him move in the pocket a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe slip a sack or two, certainly in an era in which 
we care so much about quarterback creativity. That's going to be a, a dig on him, especially when you start talking about that Burrow-Wilson rise and what those guys did outside of the pocket. But strong, I mean, that they opened against Cal. He made just NFL throw after NFL throw after NFL throw against one of the better defensive coordinators in college football and Justin Bullcox. Uh, that, to me, is just box check. Like, he has the NFL caliber answers as a thrower. Uh, so I love the arm. Uh, I love the polish. Strong is just a really fun player watching. A quarterback that I think is going to rise because of his ability to throw the ball. Really excited to hear you say that. Uh, I loved watching him on film over the summer. Uh, we've had numerous people on over the last few weeks, and I asked that question, who's a guy that could rise? Uh, Greg Cosell just a couple weeks ago said Carson Strong was it was his guy for that category. Always good others. to be always good to be with, with uh, Greg Cosell on the hill. You, that feels you, nice. Yeah, especially at that position, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, uh, Ben, this has been awesome. Everybody, make sure you're going and following Ben and his great work at Benjamin Solak on Twitter over at The Ringer. Ben, thanks so much, man. We will talk to you again soon. Of course, baby. As the uh, Eagles social promo said today, go birds. Go birds. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. Well, excited to welcome back to the show uh, the director of football operations and player personnel at the Shrine Bowl, my friend Eric Galco. Eric, welcome back, man. I appreciate it, man. We're in, we're past week one now. We had week zero and now week one, but we're getting there in college football. Yeah, we're, we're going to try and enjoy every week as it comes for sure. And it was a great slate of games uh, this past weekend, a little bit less on the the prestige scale here for week two, but that doesn't mean there isn't going to be some great games here this weekend. And uh, I want to focus in on a guy that had an outstanding performance in week one, his first year as the foundation back, I guess the, this, the, the, the lead ball carrier for that Tigers offense. That's Missouri's Tyler Beatty, a senior. Uh, I want to ask at first, how did he pop on your radar? Cause I know he was a guy that has been quietly making plays, uh, you know, in the periphery for Mizzou for the last few years. Yeah. Early, early in 2020, um, watching Larry Roundtree and watching his plays and watching the whole team's games. They had an offensive lineman last year, Larry Borum. So watching all Missouri's offense and I kept checking, is that Larry Roundtree? No, that's some other running back. I, I couldn't figure out who it was. And it was, it was Tyler Beatty. I thought his explosiveness as a third down change of pace bag last year, you know, I'll tell you, friend, we actually had the same grade if they had both in last year's draft on Roundtree and Beatty. That's how we, and then Beatty maybe a little bit ahead, just because he was so explosive, dynamic, got in the backfield that we had him as a guy absolutely to watch first game of the year, and he didn't disappoint in week one of this uh, this season. Yeah, he went for uh, just about 200 yards rushing, all-purpose. I mean, he was uh, impacting the game in a number of different ways. So uh, that said, uh, let's get into the, into the scouting report. What are your thoughts on Beatty and how he can impact an NFL team? Yeah, first off, I, I got a chance to go to Missouri this summer and, and go to the Missouri program, and they spoke so highly of him as a person, as a teammate, as a leader. 3.94 GPA, really a program-building type of player. And then on the field, tough, well-built runner with outstanding twitch, quickness, burst, to finish big plays in the second level. He's a great outside runner where he can kind of cut back and take advantage of plays in the middle. But really the part where I get most excited about a running back like him is – extremely confident out of the backfield as a pass catcher can line up at receiver and get separation. I think he's a complete third down pass catching running back. Who's added some weight clearly this year and has a lot of explosiveness in the interior. And I think he could be a three down complete back, but also has really impressive Michael Carter, like receiving out of the backfield mm-hmm. ability and Michael Carter high draft pick a year ago. Yeah. And it's interesting. Michael Carter, one of those guys that split time, obviously with uh, Javante Williams in North Carolina, yeah. that had been Beatty to a lesser extent. He was more of like a, a pure change of pace back, uh, for Mizzou now getting a chance to see him in more of a, a primary role. Uh, I mean, that could be the, the scenario there uh, for him this year. What do you see? I mean, you talk about him potentially being uh, a three down back. Do you want to just con- continue to see what he did this past Saturday? Just see him kind of stack week after week after week here. He's got a, a, a plenty of tread uh, left on the tires based on his role the first three years. Yeah, certainly want to see him in, in in more robust SEC play, right? See how he can play, make plays when they aren't there, which what he does at a really high level, did a great job this past week. But, hey, when when the linebacker or defensive lineman closes down the gap, is he going to bounce outside and get two or three yards, or can he make a play when a play is not there to be made? I think if he can show that, I think we're already talking about a running back that could be a top 100 guy if he kind of trends the way he's going. But that's the kind of play where, hey, if you can be a pass catcher in today's NFL – they have the bulk to play on the inside, but if you can make plays when they aren't there, that's what NFL teams get really excited about as a running back prospect. And I think if he can show that against the bigger, more talented SEC defenses, maybe not quite Georgia, Alabama, but defenses like that sure. in the SEC, that can make a huge difference for him. And my last question for Eric, when you look at running backs, obviously, look, if, if Beatty is able to hit that ceiling this year as a three down back, you're talking about one top 100 pick, like you said, let's say that he falls a little bit short of that. And you're looking at more of a of what he had been early in his career, which is a change of pace back, 
can impact on special teams and as, as a pass catcher out of the backfield and, and be a playmaker in space. How do you view that type of change of pace back versus maybe more of how Roundtree was viewed coming out where, you know, he was kind of like that dirty yards runner, you know, work between the tackles, not overly dynamic. How do you kind of juxtapose those two different types of backs uh, that are down on the depth chart? Yeah, I I think for the guys that are the first, second down power runners can work on the inside, the Larry Roundtree type of players and Larry Roundtree is a great player as well. Those guys are, are, are easier to find in terms of the NFL. Again, I don't want to diminish Larry Roundtree, but those guys are are every year. They can be really tough inside runners, but it's the pass catching ability, the dynamic ability on the outside. And again, Beatty has run routes as a receiver. I think he's really adapt there is that, Hey, those guys, James White's right. There aren't that many James White's in the NFL. I'm not saying Beatty can be that, but that type of player is you're still going to top five round draft pick for sure. And a guy NFL teams want, and again, we look at Michael Carter a year ago, can he be a three down back? I think so, but maybe not in the NFL, but if he's just a third down guy, that's still worth being a top under pick because it's so valuable in today's NFL. So I think Beatty, he's on the right track, no matter how he plays against better competition to still be an early round draft pick, just because his skill set is still so coveted by NFL teams right now. And again, that ceiling of a top hundred player top five running back in this draft class is not unattainable for Tyler Beatty. Yeah. And I was, that's why I wanted to make sure we kind of hit on that specifically because people get so wrapped up in positional value and just say all running backs are the same, all offensive linemen, the same. I think it's important to kind of differentiate the different roles that a guy can play in the back. Running backs matter. No no, no question. Uh, You do not, you're preaching to the choir there. Uh, Eric, this has been great, man. Thanks so much for joining us once again on the journey of the draft podcast presented by life brand. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks Fred. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduced the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com fly. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's start our look ahead here for week two in college football, officially week two, the soft week three. I don't know how often we'll keep talking about week zero as week zero, but uh, nonetheless, as I welcome in Ben Fennel. Ben, a bunch of matchups that are interesting here this week. Yeah, a bunch of interesting uh, out-of-conference ones. Ohio State, Oregon, Michigan, Washington, Iowa, Iowa State, uh, rekindling that rivalry. They didn't play last year. They played 2019. Texas, Arkansas. That's a fun one there. Steve Sarkeesian facing his old uh, SEC opponents in the Arkansas Razorbacks. Bunch of really good non-conference ones this week. Yeah, you get, and it's interesting because you get like in week two, it's always this way. You get some of those interesting non-conference ones, but then you also get the the regional ones as well. Like, so you got the Iowa, Iowa State. Obviously, that's a cross-conference one, but uh, even like Stanford, USC, uh, they're in the same conference, but they always play this early in the season, usually week two. Don't um, fail so- to mention Clemson and South Carolina State. You just throw out all the records uh, when course. they face each other. Yeah, no, you, no question. Uh, all right, man. Well, let's get into some of our matchups here. Pick one, one one-on-one matchup uh, with NFL draft implications that you're most excited to watch here this weekend. Well, I'm going to go with this unique Michigan Wolverine matchup against the Washington Huskies. Unfortunately, got upset last week to Montana, but I want to see left tackle Jackson Kirkland go up against Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson, who actually got Dane's game ball last week for his dominant performance, powerful, relentless, versatile up and down the line. But I want to talk more about Kirkland. And, you know, he's a technically sound guy. He's quick. He's agile, has almost flawless hand movements and hand technique. He's efficient, he's effective, he's functional, but he's just not the most explosive player. He's not the most powerful. He doesn't have a whole lot of tools and traits. He's not a mauler. He's not a finisher, but he's just so technically sound. Aiden Hutchinson, he's a powerful get-after-you type of guy. So I think it's a little bit of a clash of styles and philosophies of a, I don't want to say a finesse tackle, but one that definitely relies more on his quickness and agility and being technically sound. And Hutchinson's going to try to go right through him. Yeah, Hutchinson is really impressive player, man. I mean, I you've talked we talked about him a little bit offline. Obviously, we've talked about him here and there. Uh, we got Dane's thoughts on him, but just Hutchinson in general. Like, how, how impressed are you with this guy? And what do you view his stock being overall by the time we get to April? I kind of said right after the podcast last week, and I had no problem saying he showed me some flashes of JJ Watt. Now, JJ Watt played at Wisconsin, 285, 290, much longer of a player. 
but Hutchinson's not too far behind. He's more in the 275 range, not quite as long. JJ was obviously a freak at 6'6 with the long limbs, but that style of player, and I really mean that, Fran. Yeah, uh, I think he's a, a really, really impressive talent. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit under the radar here with mine. Uh, it's a it's a game that it's I don't even think it's on television. I think it's a, on a digital property, ACC Network Plus or something like <laughs> that. Uh, but Virginia Tech versus Middle Tennessee State. Now, uh, the first player I want to hit on here is James Mitchell, the tight end for Virginia Tech, who I think is really versatile. And I think when you look at his skill set, his ability to impact both the run game and the pass game, that's always going to play well with NFL evaluators. He's 6'3", 242, so he's a little bit undersized. I comped him to a Charles Clay. Um, He was a guy that I think when you look at his ability to track the ball downfield and make tough catches – that's a plus. Good athlete across the board. Uh, he could be a movable chess piece. That's a plus. Good speed to get down the seam. But then also, as a blocker, good understanding of angles. He's a really good blocker in space. Loses slowly as a point of attack, like play side blocker, and you like to see that. But also, he was given jet sweeps. He was used in the run game as a ball carrier. He actually scored five touchdowns as a power rusher uh, between 19 and 20. So when you talk about his versatility, I think that plays really well. And then you go to uh, safety Reed Blankenship here with Middle Tennessee State. Went back as a super senior, 6'1", 200 pounds. I think when you're looking at Mitchell, he's probably, when it's all said and done, like in that mid to late day two, potentially early day three. Blankenship, you're looking more as like a, a mid to late round type of prospect. But I really like Blankenship. Number one, he's played a ton of football. I mean, coming into the season, just shy of 3,000 snaps on defense. Like, he has played a ton uh, for the mocks. But uh, when you look at, at his game, I think it comes down to his instincts, his toughness, uh, his ability to quick, quickly key and diagnose is really, really strong. Um, I do think he's more of a backup in the NFL, but I feel really good about him as like a third or fourth safety in the NFL. Like I think he's going to last here in the league. So an interesting matchup for sure. When you look at, uh, you know, the tight end versus safety, I think that he will be at times asked to play man to man against James Mitchell. So just something to keep an eye on. If you stumble up across the, uh, the ACC network plus uh, on your, uh, on your digital net- networks. Yeah. James Mitchell was a guy I watched last year. I thought he was going to come out and instantly I wrote down Delaney Walker. Almost for his blocking, his physicality, his frame. And Reed Blankenship, a name we've been hearing for almost three, four years now, he flashed on the scene, first team uh, Conference USA, I think as a freshman. Yep. And then was injured, disappointing season, but was on the freak list. So now we're just looking for him to put it all together and really come back to form uh, like we saw him early in his career. High floor player. Like I feel no good about yeah. I feel good about blanket chip going into the NFL. Uh, all right, next category here. Most to gain. Who's a player that could really benefit from a strong performance this week? I'll let you go first here. And I didn't think I'd be mentioning this twice, but South Carolina State has a couple interesting prospects as they have the past couple of years, whether it's our own Javon Hargrave, whether it's Darius Leonard with the Indianapolis Colts, but cornerback to Kobe Durant has a huge opportunity this weekend against Clemson. He's from the area, Lamar, South Carolina. He was a high school quarterback, DB, kick returner. But he was an All-American in the spring. Fran, he had four interceptions in the spring. He only played four games. Right. He had three in one half against Alabama a and if I'm not mistaken. But he's 5'11", 180, a little small, a little frail. But he's physical. He's got the ball skills. Was the MEAC preseason defensive player of the year. So there's high, high expectations. The best competition so far, he played South Florida two years ago. UCF three years ago, Clemson Tigers come to town. All the scouts are going to put on this tape first and foremost. Mm. And he's a guy that our good buddy Jordan Reed had as his number three HBCU prospect, which I absolutely love that ranking system he just put up this summer. So a guy that's pretty uh, highly coveted by some analysts. And will obviously get tested by those Clemson receivers. So an outstanding matchup here uh, forming this one. I'm going to go similar kind of style here in that you've got uh, a mid-major school and a, a group of five program going up against a power five school in Appalachian State taking on Miami. And I'm going to make a prediction a little bit later in the show regarding this game. But Really, I mean, this is huge for for these App App State Mountaineers, right? I mean, you look at a handful of guys. They had six guys on the Senior Bowl watch list. Ben, they had another redshirt junior, Cameron Peoples. Uh, he this guy. That's another player that a lot of people feel could be the best prospect on the team. So, a handful of players that uh, this really means a lot to. So, I mentioned Cameron Peoples, the redshirt junior running back. Keep an eye out for him. But you you look at the this senior group. 
Sean Jolly, the corner, a lot of people really high on. Jalen Virgil, we've been hearing him on the freak list for the last like six, seven years uh, down there at App State. He'll be in this game. Corey Sutton, another player at wide receiver to watch. Defensive lineman Demetrius Taylor. Uh, they got the linebacker, DeMarco Jackson. And then the, the transfer quarterback, Chase Bryce. I'm going to talk about him a little bit later here with Ross Tucker as well. Chase Bryce was at Duke last year, Clemson previously. So when you look at the a bunch of players here, huge opportunity, big stage against Miami here for Appalachian State. And Fran, they have a four-year starting center. I can't believe you didn't mention it. His name's John Hunter, but he goes by Bear, Bear Hunter, right. center for App State. Absolutely outstanding. He's been a four-year starter out there. His dad's actually the running back coach at Wake Forest, so definitely from a football family. App State, tons of prospects. No question. All right, let's I actually to- did that game in 2016 when Miami went to App State. They went to right. North Carolina. We talked about is, it here on the show. Yeah, 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 Which is very rare for a Power 5 school to go to a – group of five or an FCS school uh, at the time. I, don't, I think they're, yeah, some bell at the time, but yeah. uh, now this is the other half of the home and home contract. Interesting. Uh, that's a good call on your part. Um, all right. Prospects after dark, a player that is uh, worth watching in a game that starts after 8 PM Eastern on Saturday that we want to profile here. So we got those late night games. Uh, who's a player you're going to watch. Yeah. I got a weird one out here. How about Colorado state? against Vanderbilt. In Colorado State, we're actually going to talk prospects, not the SEC Vanderbilt, who unfortunately got upset at home last week. But Colorado State, two players, tight end, Trey McBride, really interesting player. He's got good size, like 6'4", 260. He's competitive. This guy was a high school leader, his all-time high school leader in home runs, basketball points, was second team Mountain uh, Mountain West last year, first team in 2019. Huge yeah. Last week, I uh, caught 13 or 14 targets for over 100 yards. Great hands. Reminds me a lot of Hunter Long that came out last year at Boston College. Same staff. And then on the, on the other side, defensive end Scott Patchen, who's a Miami transfer, who was supposed to have huge expectations. Those Miami Hurricanes kind of disappointed, transferred last year to Colorado State and was showing up every week just like he did last week. Seven pressures last week. He is a powerful powerful power rusher. So Scott Patchen on the defensive side, Trey McBride tight end on the offensive side, Colorado state against Vanderbilt. Yeah. McBride is an interesting player. He's another guy. I feel good about his transition to the NFL. Even if you question what the ceiling is, like, I feel like that guy's going to play in the league. I'm going to go a little bit higher up on the scale in terms of prospect prestige here. Uh, Look, I mentioned this game earlier, USC Stanford, doesn't kick off till 10:30 Eastern on Fox. So uh, if you're just you know you're getting in, you know get uh, getting in from date night with the wife or uh, mm-hmm. with the husband, you know whatever you you get home and you're like, all right, let's turn on some football and maybe you know kind of uh, zone out a little bit. USC Stanford. Drake Jackson is one of the best defensive players in the country, uh, and you're going to watch him coming off the edge here for the Trojans. His ability to impact the pass game, impact the run game, unique body type. Uh, the flashes are outstanding. It's a, a obviously a rivalry matchup here against the Cardinal. Watch out for Drake Jackson here on the defensive side. You got Drake London, the the wide receiver on the opposite side, but uh, Drake Jackson at defensive end. Uh, keep an eye out for this kid. A really, really impressive talent. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping to see Isaiah Paul Amal back out there who missed yep. last week's game uh, due to health and safety protocols. I'm not sure if that was COVID related, but a guy I have pretty high expectations for. All right, so let's go call your shot here. Predict a big game from a prospect uh, for this weekend. Both of us did pretty well, uh, if I remember right, with our predictions from last week. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Purdue wide receiver David Bell. They take on UConn this week, and UConn has just been kind of a mess. Uh, they had their their head coach, Randy Edsel, step down uh, after initially retire, saying that he was going to retire at the end of the year. Then he stepped down earlier this week. So uh, that's been a disappointing start for them. They got crushed by Fresno in week zero. Uh, then they lost last week to Holy Cross. So uh, Purdue wide receiver David Bell. I, I like Bell. You know, if you look at it as a pure possession receiver, he's got really good hands, outstanding hand-eye coordination. Um, you know, His ability to finish at the catch point is really good. He's strong. I just want to see him be a little bit more technically proficient because he's not going to be uh, this kind of snappy route runner like even like Rashad Bateman was. Um, so I need him to be a little bit more technically proficient than what we've seen so far. But in terms of just a go up and get it guy, just consistent at the catch point, that's David Bell. He, uh, that's a guy that's going to have a big game here this weekend. I don't know if I did too hot last week, Fran. I, I thought those Indiana Hoosier defenders were going to shut down the Iowa Hawkeyes. And while they did show up, a lot of those issues were on the other side of the ball. Not quite the performance I wanted. And I initially had written down here, Brees Hall was going to have a big game, but then that would have been at the expense of Iowa again. So I scratched that. I love the matchup of B.J. Robinson at Texas against Jalen Catalan. 
Mm. But I don't know who's going to win that matchup. They're both right. really good That's players. Right, right. Sure. Had a huge week last week with two interceptions. So I'm going to take some more low hanging fruit here, if you don't mind. Yeah. And I'm going with the whole offensive side of the Kentucky Wildcats. I cannot believe you love this group. Ranked. I cannot believe they're not ranked. I think they're going to absolutely steam through this Missouri defense this week. That's Darian Kennard, Wondell Robinson, Will, Will Levis coming over from Penn State, Chris Rodriguez, LSU's left tackle, Dar. Uh, Dari Rosenthal started last week at left tackle. He looks more than okay. They are nasty up front. They run the ball. They work play action down the field. They got an excellent gadget receiver and Wondell Robinson coming over from Nebraska. All these transfers are in here now. I think they got something cooking out here. They're one and oh, they look good so far. Look out, Missouri. You better show up. And Missouri allowed quite a few yards on the ground to Central Michigan last week. Yeah, there's always a feisty team in the SEC that's like, all right, they're not going to beat the big dogs, but they're going to like put up a fight against everybody else. I think the Kentucky might be the uh, the early one here. And the uh, not being ranked after that performance, I think that's going to fire them up yeah. even more. I like it. All right, let's get to our comparison chat. An NFL comp to talk about a player playing this weekend. And I'm going to go a big one here. We got Iowa State, Iowa. I'm going to we're going to predict the game uh, in the next segment here with Ross before uh, 30 Eastern on ABC. How about the Iowa State? We talked about Brees Hall, the running back. Let's talk about Brock Purdy, who has been there, I think, for nine, three seasons going on nine. Uh, he's been a, a longtime starter, going back to his true freshman season. Whenever I study him, like, look, the, the tools aren't outstanding. The numbers, I know it, it was like a little bit down year last year, and it was a little bit of a disappointing performance this past week against Northern Iowa. But there's just like something I like about Brock Purdy. Like I, I kind of felt the same way about a, a prospect that had similar skill set coming out of school, and that was Gardner Minshew when he was at Washington State. Like you just like like watching the guy play. He's got a little bit of like that, you know, that throwback like gunslinger mentality. It's like you know, I don't really care. I'm going to put this ball right where I want it, and if it's intercepted, it's intercepted. The next time I'm going to make that throw, and I'm going to make it, and I'm going to stick it in there for a first down. Uh, I feel like Brock Purdy has a little bit of that. You want to cut out, cut down on some of these turnovers, but uh, I think that Brock Purdy, he's got a skill set to stick in the NFL uh, at the very least as a backup. I, I think he's he's got a little something to him. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned those two. I actually saw them face each other in the 2018 Alamo Bowl, uh, working for ESPN. So that was a fun nice. little matchup there out go. there. All right, give us uh, who's your comparison here. All right, so I'm going to go. I wanted to talk about somebody in this Oregon Ohio State game. There's too many to. prospects yeah, right. to ignore it. I can't believe we've gone this far to not mention as anybody. But Verone McKinley III on the back end, he's a redshirt junior at this point. He's been playing for three years on the defense, had a huge week last week. He reminds me a lot of Devin McCourty. Mm. And he's just a very smart, instinctual player, great football IQ, always under control, but has very elite movements once he sees it, has good ball skills. This was a cornerback prospect coming out of high school. So he kind of projects to that nickel safety. Same thing with Devin McCourty, cornerback at Rutgers, moved to safety, very smart player, veteran player, good range, good recovery, takes proper angles, the ball skills. You want to formation them into the box and sub packages. They're tough. They could do it and stick their nose in the run game. I wanted to say Javon Holland, but he just came out last right. year. I think he's going to be a piece the Miami Dolphins really love getting him in the second round. But I think Devin McCourty, Verone McKinley, the third on the back end, number 23, look out for him this week against Ohio State. And they have Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, that high-powered offense. He's going to get tested. And this may be his best tape and best competition this year, last year for scouts to look at. I feel like you can you can sympathize with this. I remember the first time I watched – Verone McKinley. And it was after 2019, it was coming into the 2020 season. It was so summer of 2020. I remember being in my house, obviously we're quarantined or inside. It was a beautiful day outside. I had my laptop out on the dining room table. My son's like crawling, running around, uh, around me. And I'm watching this Oregon secondary that, that after, after 2019, like you had the corners in Lenore and Thomas Graham, you had the safety, um, you know, in, uh, in Javon, Wright, Javon Allen, you had Mikel Wright. It was the true freshman. And they I was like, deep. Oh, they, yeah. they got another guy in Verona McKinley. Like, all right, like I'll watch him too. Like I'm watching the rest of these guys. Like I might as well watch another guy. He was going to be a red shirt sophomore. So he was going to be eligible. I really liked McKinley. Like I thought McKinley really, really flat. His skill set was apparent very early on. Like the versatile, the, the versatility to play inside, outside. Uh, you saw the athleticism, the instincts, the ability to finish. Uh, and I felt like, all right, like I, because I really liked Javon Holland last year. 
All right, McKinley's going to step right in for Holland, and he and that's the role that he's going to play once Holland moves on. Uh, McKinley's a really, really fun player, so I'm glad uh, that you brought him yeah, up. Yeah, McKinley he had a huge redshirt freshman season where he yeah, had four awesome. interceptions. Yep. He was a full-time starter as a redshirt freshman with a deep veteran secondary. Mm-hmm. Oregon would just say... Embarrassment of riches in the secondary. That's the one. I took it. I, I, I took <laughs> you home. One. All right. So let's get, let's round this out with our mock draft roundup here. We're going to pick a mock draft every single week and just uh, go poke through it. And we'll see who they've got the Eagles taking and some other interesting selections here. And our, our, this mock draft this week is going to come from Bleacher Report. And once again, they are leading on uh, a handful of different scouts and analysts. And I love what they're doing, what they're building over there uh, with this group. Brandon Thorne, Corey Giddings, Derek Klassen, and Nate Tice. All four guys uh, do excellent work uh, from an individual standpoint, but love getting just kind of this. This coagulation of all of their thoughts here for this mock draft. So the, they have the Eagles in this mock picking both six and 19. So only two first round picks for the Eagles in this mock draft. The first one at number six, they've got safety Kyle Hamilton. So let's take a look here. This is the blurb from the mock draft. So I'm just reading this verbatim. Value in the draft resides at the intersection of available talent and team need. Hamilton is one of the nation's most gifted prospects, despite playing a non-premium position where the Eagles could have a major voided safety next offseason. Hamilton is a big safety with the athletic ability to play at all three levels, although he's at his best when he's closer to the line of scrimmage, getting said. He uses his length well when taking on blockers, covering tight ends, and has the physicality to, to show up in the run game. Both Rodney McLeod and Anthony Harris are scheduled to become free agents after the season. Furthermore, more, both will be 31 or older in 2022. If the Eagles end up selecting sixth overall, that could mean that they consider a quarterback because a poor season would not reflect well on Jalen Hurts. At this point, the 2020 second rounder has yet to prove whether he's a long-term answer under center. If the team thinks Hurts is a capable starter, it can invest its selection in a dynamic defender, and hence the the pick here of Kyle Hamilton. So Ben, thoughts on uh, Kyle Hamilton there at six overall? Well, there's a lot of high-level defensive talent in this draft class. So to see, you know, Thibodeau, Stingley uh, go ahead is probably appropriate. And then Hamilton is going to be right in that four, five, six range for the Eagles. I would love to see him in uh, in green this weekend and maybe take away Kyle Pitts of the Atlanta Falcons. Can get to a <laughs> matchup who we've called uh, Kyle Hamilton, kind of the Kyle Pitts eraser uh, coming up in this class. So he's a really tall, long, rangy safety that you can match up in coverage, play on the back end. He's got good size and run support or run the alley. I mean, he's a presence and a playmaking uh, defender that I think any defensive scheme should be able to find a use for. Uh, I think he's a better football player and more ready than an Isaiah Simmons. Uh, who was yeah, also no a first-round pick, yep. went to the Arizona Cardinals. I think every defensive scheme would have liked to incorporate that type of talent and athlete. Uh, but I think Kyle Hamilton is a much more ready through and through safety to plug into the NFL game. I think much more of what you see from him on film is much more applicable to NFL uses and, and what he's asked to do uh, there with Notre Dame. Now, um, what but, Brent Venables asks out of his Clemson defenders, particularly the safeties, isn't always the most traditional. Right. And I feel like he caters his scheme a lot to some of the skill sets of the players which doesn't always translate. So they're freak athletes. They're really interesting players, but there may be a little bit of a disconnect with a projected role at the next level. Which, by the way, that that works for them, right? That works no for question. them at Clemson. Yeah. And yep. It's not their job necessarily to, to say, all right, we're going to do what works best for the NFL. Uh, but I think that I 100% agree with you there. Um, and I do think it's interesting too, by the way, when it comes to like Hamilton as like the tight end eraser. And I think we will be saying that a lot, right? But then when I look at his skill set, I go back and read my notes on Kyle Hamilton. Maybe one of the worst things that he does, and it's not that he's bad at it, it's just that he's so great everywhere else. I don't like love him in man-to-man against tight ends, against bigger slots. Like I want him eyes on the quarterback, reading concepts. Like when he's jumping routes uh, in the quick game, he almost had that that pick six uh, back last year that I could stick in my mind. I forget which game it was. I want to say it was Wake Forest, but I'm not positive. But like the intercept, the second interception he made the other day, like. That's not obviously that's not man to man. He's making that like in Zoka. Like I love when he's got eyes on the quarterback and he can just read the whole field and now just go make a play on the football. Uh, I love him more in zone than than in man. But well, I'm uh, excited, Fran, that they're going to be back on the independent schedule, so they're removed yes. from the ACC. So you can watch them against a variety of players. They play Without. Wisconsin in two weeks. Jake Ferguson. They play Virginia Tech in four weeks. James Mitchell. USC uh, a little bit after that. Then Stanford again. He's going to get tested quite a bit. There's a yeah. lot of tight end talents on those teams. 
So the the top five you alluded to it. You know Spencer Rattler number one to Houston, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau uh, number two to Detroit, Derek Stingley number three to the Jets, Evan Neal number four to the Cincinnati Bengals. Those four seem to be like the chalk top four in most mock drafts uh, that you look at right now. And then Kenyon Green, the offensive lineman from Texas A and M, he went number five to Jacksonville. Let's fast forward to the Eagles' next selection at number nineteen. They've got. Pass rusher George Karlaftis. We talked about him earlier in the show uh, with Ben Solak. And here's the blurb uh, from these guys. If not for a leg injury and testing positive for COVID-19 last season, Karlaftis may have gone much higher in this projection. And here's a quote from Derek Klassen. Karlaftis shows stunning explosiveness off the edge for a six foot four, 275-pounder, Klassen said. The Eagles have a ton of solid pass rushers, but they could still use a real home run hitter like Karlaftis. Don't be surprised if he plays himself into a top 10 spot now that he has returned from last season's struggles as a true freshman Karlaftis registered seven and a half sacks and 17 tfls basically the dn status is in a holding pattern he is definitely a first round talent but everyone is waiting to see if he'll be the same dominant defender from two seasons ago or if his play tails off the eagles continue to build their defense after taking kyle hamilton earlier much like the hamilton pick Karlaftis addresses a potential roster hole since Derek barnett josh sweat and ryan kerrigan aren't under contract beyond the 2021 campaign. So, uh, Ben, reaction here to George Karlaftis uh, ending up with the Eagles in this mock draft. Yeah, 19 is probably a little later than I think he'll go. I I agree. I think we all expect him to kind of get back to his uh, freshman year form, which he absolutely set the world on fire. It was an incredible 2019 season. I was a little disappointed last year, uh, as you had mentioned, with COVID and injuries. So he had an awesome week last week, a lot of pressures was in the backfield. He's such a good run defender. He's so quick off the ball. He's such a powerful player. He plays through contact so well. And I'm okay that he's a little stiff in the lower half. He's not looking to run around guys. You know, he's a tough power player that's versatile, good on early downs, three down player. Another guy that just checks a lot of boxes for any scheme, any defense. So I would love to see a player like this uh, on this Philadelphia Eagles front seven. Just to give people a sense of the players that are going in this range as well, the two guys that went before Karlaftis, you had Andrew Booth at 17 to Dallas, also a little bit later than I think we're seeing him in some mock drafts. And then 18, Drake Jackson, the pass rusher to US, from USC that we talked about earlier, he went to the Colts there uh, in that mock. The two guys that went after Karlaftis, number 20, Traylon Burks to the Patriots, 21, Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa to the Tennessee Titans. So, uh, <laughs> It's five good players uh, right there in that range. This draft is interesting, man. I, and I think that the, not the the cliff, but I the, I think there is a line after like those mid twenties where I think that talent level kind of drops a little bit. But when you go through like the top 20, top 22, top 25 of most mock drafts, you're like, there's a lot of good players uh, in this group. And, and as you mentioned, especially on the defensive side. Uh, so I have one last question about this mock draft for you. We'll always kind of throw uh, one spare one in here. One pick from this first round that we don't see often, but that you love uh, from that you see the player this high. Who's one guy that kind of stands out? One pick. Well, you know, as we're sitting here in early September, starting to see the narratives of the draft class. And it seems like after tackle Evan Neal and tackle guard Kenyon Green, there's a huge mix on who's the next tier of tackles. And every mock draft has people different who's going to be that next off the board. I see some that it could be Abe Lucas. Some could be Jackson Kirkland. Uh, There's a lot of other tackles around. Todd McShay has Zion Nelson and Charles Cross in there. So there's a lot of kind of mixing theories and evaluations. But in this particular mock, a number 11 overall to the New York Giants is NC State left tackle Ikem Iquano, who we all call Icky, Icky Iquano, who uh, played some guard last year, also played tackle. He is a powerful people-moving SOB. This guy uncoils on contact. He finishes defenders. He's nasty in space. Long story short, Fran, I just haven't seen him in first-round mocks. He's a yeah. really good player. He's going to be a riser. But I think after that first tier of Evan Neal, Kenyon Green, it is open season for your opinion, your mocks, your evaluations, your rankings with the tackle and guard group. I love this because Brandon Thorne obviously is uh, doing a lot of the, the offensive line evaluations there. So for Brandon to have him this high, I think you and I are both excited by excited by that. Uh, is he not like just a pure like Dave Gettleman hog molly, like perfect fit <laughs> for that situation? So, yeah, like makes perfect sense. Same lines, like same line of thinking, because I went number 15, just four picks later. Daniel Falalele from from Minnesota. This is a guy that I've been really high on now for the last couple of years after watching him as a true sophomore with Minnesota. His only second year of playing American football. Uh, Falalele, he came up from Australia, similar to Jordan Mailata. He had college eligibility. He went and took it. 
I really, really am high on this kid and what he could be. You don't necessarily see him in the first round, and you definitely don't see him in the top 15. They've got him going 15 overall to the Denver Broncos. I love that uh, for for Fah Lele. So uh, to me, that was another one I was really, really excited by. Yeah, and I think the more I look into this, I mean, like Jordan Reed has Darian Kennard in the first round. McShay had Rasheed Walker in the first round. Renner had Abe Lucas in the first round. There's so many different opinions after that first tier of offensive line, and I think it's going to keep changing. It's a deep tackle group. It's an interesting guard center group. But as far as where you're ranking them at the moment, they could be all over the place. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's one of the interesting groups for sure uh, going in through this uh, this pre-draft process. And obviously, a lot of football left to be played for guys to uh, see their stock go up and go down. Well, Ben, uh, we got a big weekend here in college football. We're going to preview six more games coming up right here with Ross Tucker in Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, back for another edition of Pick 6 is my buddy Ross Tucker. You can find him on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, we both tied last week, man. We went 3-3 three and three in our picks, including some near misses. I mean, we were so close to our upset specials last week. You picked Fresno State over Oregon. They came within a touchdown. I had Louisiana Tech over Mississippi State. La Tech lost by one point. I was I was on the edge of my seat watching that one. Um, yeah, you took you took Georgia over Clemson. I took Clemson, uh, so you got the win there, uh, and I got the the win in the over under uh, with Iowa's rushing yards. But uh, a great first week of college football, man. So the only reason why Iowa didn't hit the over on the rushing yards is because Moss, that kid, had two pick sixes. Yep, exactly. Otherwise, right. Iowa Iowa killed Indiana. So the over. 174 and a half rushing yards was the right play there. So you lucked out. <laughs> and yes, I did the Yukon uh Holy Cross game, Fran. I was driving back, listening on my satellite radio, listening to Fresno State, Oregon, and it was tied. And then Oregon scored to go ahead by it with like a I was like, oh, it really like it makes it so fun. Like Georgia Clemson, I knew you yeah. had Clemson. I had Georgia, so I was so happy. By the way, Georgia's whole defense looks like Micah Parsons. I mean, their whole defense <laughs> is just fast as heck. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a, a really good front seven there, and they obviously took over that game like we talked about uh, earlier this week here on the show. But uh, let's get into this week's picks, man, and we'll start uh, with a couple pick We'll start first with uh, Texas and Arkansas, Little out, former going back to the Southland Conference here. Uh, wh- who's your pick in this game and why? I'm going to go Texas because I thought that was actually a pretty impressive debut for Steve Sarkeesian, for their new quarterback, Hudson Card. I mean, that that was a good Louisiana team they played that was ranked for a reason. They had a lot of guys back from the team that won a bunch of games a year ago. And Texas controlled that game from start to finish. I thought it was a very mature win for the Texas Longhorns. And – you know, you combine that, I, I just think they're a more talented team than Arkansas, and I, I'll predict that they'll win again because now they got some momentum. They're believing with Sarkeesian. You know, Texas has been one of those teams where it's like, oh, is Texas back? Is Miami back? Is Florida State back? I feel like Texas, their effort this weekend, it, get, it gave you some hope, and I think Florida State, with what they did Sunday night against Notre Dame, that gives you some hope for where those two programs are heading. I will take Texas as well here. That said, have you done anything? Have you seen anything of Traylon Burks, the uh, the Arkansas receiver? Dude, he is a stud. Like, he reminds me of T.O. Like, that's the kind of player I think he could be in the NFL. Everybody says that. My question is, because um, I know he got hurt. Well, I was listening to that game on the radio, yeah. too. Bijan Robinson got hurt yeah. for Texas. I haven't seen, you know, uh, any updated report, but I think Texas wins either way. I agree. All right, let's get to the next one here. Uh, Iowa and Iowa State. Who do you like here and why? College game day on site there Saturday morning. I like the Iowa Hawkeyes. Nice. Um, you know, look, Iowa State was my surprise team coming into this year in terms of like a national championship contender. And maybe they were looking ahead because this is such a big game for them. But Northern Iowa went toe-to-toe with the Cyclones all game long. Iowa looked awesome. They dominated Indiana. The defense up front, both sides of the ball. It's, I understand it's just one week. It's college football. Things change, but it's hard to see what I saw on Saturday from both these teams and say, I think Iowa State's going to beat Iowa. I'm going with what I saw on Saturday, and that is the Iowa Hawkeyes. 
I'm going to lean on your gut instinct coming into the season. I'm going to go Iowa State here. Maybe they were looking ahead, you know, look, trying to look past Northern Iowa. Uh, but I look at Brees Hall. I look at, at the rest of that Iowa State offense. They've got some guys on defense as well. It's a senior-laden uh, team over there with the Cyclones. Uh, but Brees Hall, probably the best player on the field. I, one of my favorite running backs in this class for sure. His physicality downhill, his vision and patience as a runner, really, really impressive. I like Iowa State here uh, to get this win. It would be a big one, uh, the one they really need. They would really could use one of those statement wins out of conference for sure as they get ready for Big 12 play here in a couple weeks. Uh, let's go to our next one here. Over under, and we're going to look at Ohio State wide receiver Chris Olave. They play Oregon, maybe the highlight game here this weekend. Chris Olave's career yards per catch is 16.1. Will he be over or under that mark on Saturday against the Ducks? I think he'll be over it. Uh, I think he's going to hit a couple big plays against Oregon. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau, his status is up in the air after that sprained ankle. They certainly would need him to get some pressure on Stroud. That's a problem for Oregon's defensive front, which enables Olave to run deeper routes. It's crazy how open Olave gets down the field consistently. I think he'll hit a couple big shots against the Ducks. I'll go over. I'm going to take the under here. I really like Oregon's defense. I think when you look at uh, some of the young players, they've got a really fast young uh, uh, front seven. You look at Noah Sewell, the true sophomore, Penny's younger brother. Uh, you've got Michael Wright, the junior corner uh, out there for Oregon. Verone McKinley, the redshirt junior safety. Uh, he's got a lot of talent as well. It's a really loaded Back, uh, defensive back seven uh, there for Oregon. So even if uh, who uh, Thibodeau, who I think is the best player in the country, even if he's not in the lineup, I still like this back seven enough to limit Olave. To you know, he might get a big play here and there, but keep him under the sixteen one. Uh, I'll take the under there uh, for us in that one. Let's go to number four here, and either or pick in this one. This will be one of those things where it's all right. Uh, who throws more touchdowns this Saturday? We've got a big one here. Miami could really use a win after what happened this past weekend against Alabama. Or Appalachian State quarterback Chase Bryce. So you're going to take the Miami quarterback De'Ara King or Chase Bryce, a former Clemson quarterback, was at Duke last year, now down at App State. I'm going to go De'Ara King. Uh, I just think that they've got more ability both at receiver and on the back end than does App State. That's recruiting. And you'd, you'd like to think that would parlay itself into – King having more touchdowns. Now, look, maybe he runs for it. Maybe they're able to control the ground. I don't know, but I'll go De'Ara King. We are going opposite on a bunch of ones this week, man. This is going to be a, a huge week for us. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Chase Bryce. I, I like App State here in a, in a potential upset uh, over the Canes. Um, I, I just look at Chase Bryce. Obviously, uh, both guys, both he and De'Ara King, very, very experienced quarterbacks. Uh, they are battle-tested. Uh, but I like App State here. I'm going to go I'll go Chase Bryce. Uh, let's go number five, our high-low. Which number's higher? And it's looking at the Michigan and Washington matchup, another fun out-of-conference game here this week. Which number's higher, Aiden Hutchinson's sacks and TFLs, or let's go to the Washington star corner, Trent McDuffie, his number of interceptions and pass breakups. So Hutchinson's big plays versus McDuffie's big plays. Who do you like here in this one? Yeah, I think it's Hutchinson. Um, he was awesome on Saturday. And I think Michigan's going to try to run the ball a lot. Now that Ronnie Bell's out, I think they're going to run the rock at Washington. Yep. I just don't know how many opportunities McDuffie will get, whereas I know Hutchinson's going to get a lot of opportunities. So I got to go Aiden Hutchinson there. That's yeah, a good call. I, I I like Hutchinson here in this one as well. Uh, have you have you like watched him and like just done like a deep dive on Hutchinson at all? Man, he is. Uh, I'm sure you've got like a story about him from recruiting. He is really really impressive on film. I haven't done a deep dive, but I've seen some clips. He looks really good. I mean, he certainly looks better to me than Quiddy Pay ever did. Right. And Quiddy Pay was a first round pick, you know, so I think he's a better, more productive player. Well, let's get to our last one, our upset special. One big upset for this weekend, Ross. We both came so, so close uh, in week one. What do you got here for week, uh, week number two? So there's a couple different ones, Fran, I debated. Um, and I love trying to pick the upsets, by the way. Yes. This is one of my there, favorite there was a couple different ones that I could have gone with, and I'll just talk through it with you. I thought about Buffalo over Nebraska sure. real hard. Yeah, sure. Real hard. But I'm ultimately going to go Toledo. Oh. I'm taking Toledo nice. I thought over about this. Notre Dame. <laughs> Only people watching Peacock will see it because the game's on right. Peacock. 
Toledo's got a really good team this year. They're talking about it being one of Toledo's best teams ever. Notre Dame plays an overtime game yep. on Sunday night. Now they got to come back, but they're feeling good about themselves. They won. I think Notre Dame is ripe for the picking. I am taking Toledo to pull off this win. I like it. And by the way, but we all know that Kyle Hamilton, the safety for Notre Dame, is a stud. There is a player on Toledo's sideline who is very, very similar in Tyson Anderson, the senior safety for the Rockets. He's built very similarly to Hamilton, similar skill set. Obviously not the prize. You know, Kyle Hamilton's probably going to go top five, top ten. I don't know that Anderson's going to go that high, but just a, a guy to watch there for the Rockets. I was very close to picking that one. That said, Ross, I did pick another MAC team to get an upset. I'm going Ball State over Penn State this weekend at Beaver Stadium. Now, Look, I've been to Beaver Stadium as the visiting team a handful of times, okay? It is a hard place to go in and get a win. So how do you do it? Number one, turnovers on defense and big plays on offense. And I look at Ball State. They can do both. They've won eight straight games, Ball State, going back to last year. They're the defending MAC champs. They returned basically everybody. They pulled the Tampa Bay Bucks. They've got 20 starters coming back from last year's MAC title team. The wide receiver there for the Cardinals, Justin Hall, this guy is explosive, five foot nine, 186 pounds, career-leading receiver in school history. That defense, they return a ton of production, and they were one of the best in the country last year at creating turnovers. They had 17 in eight games. Penn State didn't turn, turn the ball over last week against Wisconsin. We talked about, though, how we expected them to lose that turnover battle because of their issues with ball security a year ago. So I look at Ball State coming in here. They've got the formula for success. Don't get into that early hole. Uh, I'm going to look at the Cardinals. I think back, remember, Ohio U upset Bill O'Brien in his first year uh, there at Beaver Stadium. Well, maybe, maybe it happens again here. Uh, some action that's coming to uh, to Beaver Stadium's doors here, Ross. You know, I, I understand. The, I understand. Look, I did two Ball State games last year. Right. Uh, they have some good corners. They, they have a heck of a quarterback in Drew Plitt. Yep. I, I think – uh, I'm not sure they're going to be able to hang up front, up front, both right. sides of the ball. I was really impressed by some of the things I saw from Penn State's defense in general, front seven in particular, the Temple transfer. It's going to yeah. be a killer for you, Fran. Ebikite, he's a stud. And Penn State's offensive line with Noah Kane and then their receivers, Dotson. And this Penn State played much better in the second half against Wisconsin. Uh, I see it, though. It's basically the same logic as mine with Notre Dame, yeah. you know, coming off a big emotional win. Uh, so I can see that. I, I considered that one as well, but I think Penn State gets it done. Has just, did Justin Hall stand out to you when you did those couple games last year? I know I have not done the deep dive, but he's flashed and, and obviously he's been very Oh, yeah. Good. No, he's a stud. He's a, they, they try to get him the ball. Um, I don't know who the running back is because Caleb Huntley left for the Gone. NFL. He's with, yep. he with the Falcons. So I don't know. Huntley really helped them last year as a banger between the tackles. Although I don't know how much of that they'd be able to do against Penn State anyway. Yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll see. This was a tough one to be able to pick. I was very close to picking your game. Uh, this will be an interesting one. Well, Ross, uh, we'll see how we do next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Thanks again for joining us here for Pick 6. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, great stuff there from Ross. Love catching up with him every week here on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed this week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Why don't we do it again next week? Myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, we'll be back with another member of the Eagles scouting staff. If you guys haven't been checking out our scout stories, make sure you are subscribed and you will get these episodes sent to your mobile device each and every week. That said, have a great weekend. Enjoy college football. We'll be back right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.